seat. Turning out of that black hole. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Bipolar Teddy Bear. I have myself, Reed, the beautiful Cecil, and in northern Kentucky, Tully, and the man they call Jeremy. This is our first (laughs) combined episode, truly combined episode. We have strictly changed formats. We have turned it into one solid episode so we can start bringing better quality content and not rushing everything. Um, well, that's subjective, but I like the positivity. It's 100% better content. <laughs> <laughs> Such an upbeat guy. You should have been a politician, Cecil. <laughs> if I was a politician, that's 120% better than last year's number. What are we going to talk about today? Well, there's always been a question. I was like, where would I love to take my wife? Somewhere thrilling, somewhere amazing. Um, somewhere where you could have the chance of hearing disembodied voices, see men turn to wolves, catch full apparitions, all while having a chance of somebody getting abducted by aliens. And, you know, there's only one place that comes to mind. Can you guys guess what that is? My first thought's Utah. Utah. What's the name of the place, boys? Skinwalker Ranch. Skinwalker Ranch. (laughs) People... People go for the wolves and stay for the the babies. <laughs> the babies. <laughs> go for the wolves, stay for the disembowelments. Imagine if it was like a bed and breakfast at Skinwalker Ranch, and that is where you conceived your child. What the Skinwalker Ranch is, if you've never if you've never heard of this, it's uh, essentially what it sounds like. It's a 512 acre plot of land over in Utah in Ballard County or whatever it may be called. Ballard. <laughs> Ballard. Ballard. Ballard is, Ballard is County. the name of the closest town. It's in Utah, and what was the other county borders it? It was Randallit. 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 Um, so if, just to give you a quick rundown of what it is, it's apparently a hotbed of just every paranormal thing that you could imagine, from ghost to... UFOs to I don't know orbs orbs uh, portals to other locations a ghost train there's some pretty weird cryptids there's cryptids it's everything it's everything that we love uh, it's so, like the Walmart of mer- paranormal really they got a little bit of everything if if they ain't got it you don't need it that is true <laughs> it is very similar to the Walmart of paranormal. But um, we like to take you back on a little time trip, and I'm going to let Jeremy start with this. So, right. before he gets started, the mainstream stuff all started in the 90s. But what people forget is that this piece of land was here before the 90s. So, Jeremy, what all happened before the 1990s? Before the 1990s? Uh, well, see, I, I tried to do as deep a dive I, as I could on this. Uh, I found a few like quick stories. One of the oldest ones that I found, this took place back in 1951. A man named Joseph Hicks, he was a teacher. Uh, I forget 
what grade, but he I guess he was outside with his students one day and recess. He was I think he yeah. was like a science teacher, so he's probably in middle school or high school. Is it not okay. fair that they give you this recess in school, right? But when you get adult, you get a recess, but they have no playground equipment. I don't like that. Like, I, if I'm on break, I want there to be slides. You know what I'm saying? Fair enough. <laughs> but uh, this Mr. Hicks, um, he he and his class, they saw the UFO, and this this spurred something in him. He he became like the local expert for all things alien in the area. Um, he started cataloging, cataloging hundreds of UFO reports. Um, he researched the origins of skinwalkers very heavily, and that's something that I think we should touch on just to, to give some context to what skinwalkers are. Hey, hey, totally what's a that. skinwalker? So skinwalkers originated um, in the Navajo Nation, and basically... You all are familiar with medicine men and shamanic practices. Basically, you know, if a shaman is Luke Skywalker, a skinwalker, a skinwalker is Darth Vader. So they they implement you know similar practices. However, in order to kind of bestow yourself with skinwalker abilities you have to take the life of someone close to you typically a sibling so this is like or is there age limit on it um well so there there were there have been stories of younger skinwalkers um there was one story in particular and i believe this fits into the the earlier timelines, but there was a lady not on the ranch, but in the town. And in her backyard, she kept seeing this uh, teenage boy walk the line of her her twenty acre fence, and it was every single day. So she got freaked out, talked to the local shaman. And he's like, this person is trying to like infiltrate your, you know, positivity or whatever, and you know, instill darkness. <clears throat> and she is, said, "Is there a event- chance that maybe this person was just extremely high? Like maybe they went to the wrong kind of medicine man? Well, and was just walking back and forth on the fence line? So that's possible. But at some point, the the boy was replaced with a very large black." dog that paced the fence as well she had four horses and she walked outside on one of these one of these days and the dog had crossed the fence the horses were tail to tail trying to to keep this thing away and it was circling them so she grabs her gun says that she only has one bullet in the chamber she fires at it it drops dead. It doesn't twitch or anything. She walks up, check the dog. She waits until her husband gets home. The dog has no wounds. And they find out later that day that the teenage boy was found dead in his room with no wounds. Wow. Hmm. 
So that's now, just the one walking of the... twenty acres back and forth. I've done that when I was younger, <laughs> but I was going to my medicine man when I was doing that. <laughs> I think he was, he was supplying some medicine that made me uh, think that if I was walking that far, I had I'd be able to open a portal to a different world. So I guess it kind of lays in the same. Well, vein. I mean, this stuff, like even though we're talking about the ranch specifically, if you watch interviews and stuff with the townspeople or around the ranch like this stuff is just instilled into their culture like they're all scared of this stuff oh yeah it'd be terrifying yeah. and some of the stories that, that i'm going to be talking about i mean like with joseph hicks he obviously wasn't on the ranch he was at a school but it just happens to be as cecil talked about a hotbed for this paranormal activity um not just on the ranch but in the, the nearby area as well and and um um it pretty much lays within UFO Alley, too. I forget the real name of it, but UFO, UFO Alley is right there. The Utah Basin. The, yeah, the Utah Basin. Basin. So uh, before I get into the stories, I mean, I, I was looking into the Skinwalkers myself, and I, I like Tully's analogy of the, the Star Wars there. Um, something fascinating to me is they had to reach such a high level of priesthood before they had that opportunity so someone that had walked the line their entire medicine man career and then chose the dark side right at the very end and i mean what sort of powers besides just the shape-shifting couldn't they like control animals and stuff too they yeah they basically was, possess them don't they yep yep there's a Jeez. and i'm sure there's a lot more that like because i mean there's a lot of native american practices like that that are shielded to, to people who aren't within the nation you know and there's i think on the east coast the similar there's like a corresponding term that they use in native american tribes on the east coast was like a winatu or something like that or instead of saying skinwalker it was they actually it was a i can't remember what it's called if it's winatu or something it's actually a referenced in one of the Fallout games. Oh yeah. What was it called? I can't and, remember. What it was and then it. what's the? There's another another one on the the West Coast, I believe. Um, they also uh, corresponded it to Eastern Western Europe as the werewolf, like people that could shape shift into a wolf or dog form. What's the so word? I, what's the word I'm looking for? Different things geographically. The the one I'm looking for is like Tom once Hanks. you once you taste the flesh of another human, you turn into this creature. Like a Wendigo. There you go. Wendigo. That's Wendigo. what I was looking for. Wendigo. It's not true, by the way. <laughs> some facts. Doesn't work. <laughs> Doesn't work. Promise. <laughs> So, just I mean, just with the name of Skimwalker Ranch, I mean, obviously it's going to come with some some bad stuff with it. But uh, some more stories in that area. This one takes place in Salt Lake City or Salt Lake. Uh, 1964, a man by the name of, I, I like this one, a man by the name of Paul Peterson. He was just traveling home uh, and he just happened to see a UFO. This UFO had to be so close to him that he could actually observe some humanoid creatures in the windows of the aircraft. And they started speaking to him telepathically. They said some, they asked him something along the lines of, 
may we beam you up? What? <laughs> yeah. So they 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 were at least uh, very polite, uh, cordial, and very chivalrous about it. <laughs> and uh, Paul, he started thinking to himself. He didn't say it out loud. He started thinking about his wife and his children. So and, he agreed. <laughs> so, <laughs> so these aliens uh, i guess they they understood his affection to his family and they just like they just sort of left him alone and, and flew on by or maybe they just didn't want to give him what he wanted as well. could be, could be. <laughs> something we want to point out um that during the time frame of 1934 up to like 1994, the ranch was owned by a Kenneth and Edith Myers. And so they, um, or at least for the first part of what we're talking about, they were the longtime owners of this ranch. So, but okay. it changes hands a few times after that. That'll get more interesting on the next episode. But, you know, and, and I did find some information, I mean, about, and it's something just ahead, foreshadowing here, um, interviews with the owners. I mean, there's some recurring characters. If, if you've seen any sort of document or documentaries about this, some of these names will be familiar, like George Knapp and maybe some others. Like a hip hop um, remix video. It's got all the cameos. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the this name is that, the remix edition of the song. Never mind. <laughs> we should do that. Um, this next one, it jumped ahead like 11 years. This uh, physiologist named Frank Salisbury, he's been writing about the area. I love his stakes. I think he came up with the Salisbury. Story. Yeah. <laughs> but he's been writing about this area for a very long time. So all the way back in 1975, there was a publication called Bioscience. Um, he had claimed to gather hundreds of accounts of UFO sightings, and he made claims in several other reports in the 60s. Unfortunately, I, w I wasn't able to find those. But in, in these publications, he had the backing and the interest of other scientists in the area about possible like hypothesizing and, and researching just the, the uptick in the, the noise level of UFO sightings. So it was definitely garnering a lot of attention even back in those days when it was all word of mouth and newspapers. What time frame was this? This was 1975 when he wrote that particular piece, but he, he'd been covering it from the 60s up until present day from what I've seen on, on some sites. So, so during this whole time period, was there like any other kind of like sightings besides UFOs? That's what I was about to ask. It seems like it it was mostly geared toward, but also you have to think about culture back then too. I, I think with uh, like people were a lot more religious. Oh yeah, that's true. You know, so the ghosts and stuff like that probably wouldn't have been as uh, cool it would to be talk about. Or too taboo to talk about it. Yeah, if it did happen. It was difficult to find stuff besides the UFO. I mean, it's such a commonplace thing, uh, just all the sightings. I mean, this seems to happen at least twice a day from the stories that you read about the place. 
So again, we're in the 70s, the the second half of the 70s. There was an oil rig worker by the name of Ray Kelsey, and he was interviewed by the Deseret News. It's based in Utah. Um, He was working in an oil rig in Wyoming, so pretty far away, but still kind of in the area. And he claims to have seen a UFO along with 200 other workers on this oil rig. Um, I didn't get a time difference, but apparently that same rig that they were working at later exploded. Um, And this man was quoted in that publication saying they were taking something out of the ground, oil or something black, but it wasn't a solid stream. It was particles like a beam and the ship itself had different colored lights and was transparent. The the ship was sucking up some particles out of the ground and then it led to a, an entire oil rig exploding. That that's, that's crazy. Crazy. I have a a theory on the origin of this place. Origins. Um and it when I say this place, I don't mean only Skinwalker Ranch, but I'm talking about the whole um, what is it? Utah Basin, the mountains. Oh, yeah. Utah yeah. Basin. Utah, yeah. So during the um, Spanish Inquisition, the Aztecs got tired of everything going on down there, and they sent, I think, uh, it was like fifteen thousand Aztec. Uh, I, don't, I guess Aztecians. Yeah. Aztecians. So they sent them Aztecians. Aztecians. <laughs> with a boatload, boatload of gold to their cousins, the Ute Native Americans, to hide the gold from um, people, I guess, undeserving of it. So. And this this also plays into like Native American lore and superstition, but basically it was said to have been sealed off in that range and cursed. And that range stretches across all of these places where there's skinwalker sightings, there's all of these ghost sightings, and uh yeah, so I, I think one theory could be, you know, if you believe in curses, is that the big the big ticket thing, whenever you listen to firsthand accounts at Skinwalker, activity shoots through the roof when people start digging. And just next to Skinwalker Ranch, there is a an active team doing demolition looking for this native american gold that was everything that we know and were able to find happened pre-1994 now if you know anything else if you have more information about it comment to us and if we may revisit this in the future and if you're well versed in more stuff that we're going over reach out to us and come on the show and we'll be happy to speak with you i, I did miss one thing <sighs> I miss um, you too. So, <laughs> when, whenever I mentioned that the Ute Native Americans got the gold, 
um, one of the stories, I forget what the gentleman's first name was, but Brigham Young uh, sends a a scout with the last name of Rhodes out to basically befriend the Ute Native Americans and their reports that he returned with 60 pounds of gold, which is how basically they were able to fire up Mormonism and build Salt Lake City. Yeah, oh. and Brigham Young was the basically the founder, along with Joseph Smith. Uh, Joseph Smith founded, uh, if I'm correct, the Mormons. And then Brigham Young like took them to the next level. And it's crazy because that kind of plays into the fact that the tablets that Joseph Smith found were gold tablets. Right? Yeah. He used the seeing stone to read the gold tablets. Yep. And and they're actually like later on in even still before like the nineties, but later on, um, some of Rhodes estranged family filed um mining rots and basically to do that you know you have to own the land obviously but you have to believe that there's something there and file it with the county so they were also looking for it and you know all over that area now you'll find just random because obviously they didn't have like any way to shoot radar in the ground or anything like that back then so there's just random shafts that they carved into these mountains that uh, lead to nowhere. Wow. All right. So that is all the stuff we wanted to talk about pre-1994. Basically, in 1994, that is when things started to get off the chain. We had a person, a family by the name of Terry and Gwen Sherman. Sherman. Purchased the Skinwalker Ranch. Of course, it wasn't called Skinwalker Ranch quite yet, but it was getting there. So this is when things really escalated on not just from UFO sightings, but let me tell you a little story about their basically their first day there on the ranch. What happened? So uh, Terry and Gwen, along with their two children, were basically moving in uh, to the, I guess, the livable homestead there were three homesteads on this ranch two of them were pretty dilapidated one was actually where somebody could live so they fancy word dilapidated they were so they purchased it they were moving furniture they had already moved some of their livestock because that's the reason they bought it was they were going to raise high-end uh cattle and stuff like that um scimitar cattle and I, when i watched the having wagyu no they did not have a wagyu wagyu was not something really thought of at that time period but so they were going to raise high end cattle. Already had some of their cattle there. They're unloading the truck. And so about 100, 150 yards away, coming through up the basically the pasture, comes a wolf. Um, and not acting in typical wolf, wild animal fashion. Basically, just comes trotting towards them. Uh, as it gets closer, they realize that this is not just a normal size wolf. This is probably two to three times what a typical wild wolf size would be. Jesus. Instead of coming up maybe to your hip, 
this thing's back came up to like their arm under their armpit tall. Well, huge. And I read that also wolves aren't typical to that area. They not, they, not at they all. Like, they like to hang out at higher elevations and follow yeah. the elk herds. That's more of that's more of coyote country where they're at. And this would wolves were more in the like you said the higher elevations. So one, it's not acting like a normal wolf. Two, it's definitely out of its geographical region. And three, it's friggin' huge. And exactly. So it is acting so, I guess, docile like a pet. They thought maybe this was somebody's pet that they had adopted or picked up a, a wolf and raised it as a dog. And uh, it actually gets close enough, and the Terry, the the dad, pets the thing on top of its head. He said he literally remembers it smelled like wet dog. So this Wait, was would a you, would physical you attempt this? being. Would, huh? would you attempt to pet a wolf? That's two or three I, times. I would. I would not. I would, but that's my that's my thing. So. Or he'd be out there rolling around in the I'm, grass with it going. <laughs> I am, I am the beast master. <laughs> so. Well. You know, they're kind of, you know, he's, Terry's are really the only one that really pets it. But, you know, uh, in the meantime, the wolf kind of saunters on over to the pen where they've got two calves. And one of the calves, out of curiosity, sticks its nose between the bars of the gate. And the wolf just latches on to it. And so his son and Terry both try to start, they pick up some sticks or fence posts and try to start beating the wolf to get it off of the calf does no good. Uh, he gets his 357 Magnum and very close range, like probably within six feet and under plugs about plugs him about four times with about the fourth shot being right up point blank range. Never any yelps or cries or not even seeing any blood or hair come off this animal. 357 is a pretty large caliber. That, that'll knock a man down. Uh, and Put a nice exit wound on somebody. So the wolf finally lets go of the calf and starts, you know, kind of trotting off through the field. He runs in the house and gets his 30-06 and shoots it two more times. And on the final shot, he does see, and you know, blood splatter, exit wound kind of thing. Him and the son track this thing because it had been very rainy for the past few days, so the tracks were easy to find. There was it was very muddy at the time, and they tracked this thing several, probably about a half a mile or so, and they follow its tracks down to a riverbed where tracks are even more visible, and then right in the middle of this sandy riverbed, they just disappear. Wow. Which is kind of in and line that was with day one. Yeah, <clears throat> that's kind of in line with the the first story too about no uh, no blood or anything so like that. When they come back towards the homestead, they did find a piece of flesh. Really. And when he picked it up to examine it, it smelled like rotting flesh and like was in the wow. beginning stages of decay. So. That is weird. That was you know the those, first incident for the Shermans. 
You know those like <laughs> ominous horror movie scenes, like just to set the the tone of the movie, and then characters like shrug it off, like oh it's not a big deal. That's, That's one of those. He shot the thing six times, and they had to track it by its footprints, not blood trail. That's the thing. Like, how much money do you have to invest, and in how bad off do you have to be to be like, ah, nothing like that happened again. That's just first day <laughs> blues. Depends, <laughs> depending on how many head of cattle they had. I mean, that cows aren't cheap. And that, no, and if he was raising purebreds, which I've, you know, I grew up on a cattle farm, and purebred cattle can get like super expensive, thousands of dollars per yes. cow. I would have dipped. I'd be like, let's just leave. Let's I, I remember back in the late '90s, my cousin went on this thing raising limousine cattle. Yeah. And how many people could you fit on them? You probably fit about four on them. They were huge. No, really, they were. I think that was part of the reason they were called limousine is because they were a really long-bodied cow. Uh, of course, it didn't have a wet bar. That's the only thing. You sure? Unless it was unless it was a female and it was under the chassis. But I mean, he was getting like he would get twenty eight hundred to three thousand dollars for a a, for a cow. Yeah, that's hard. So, though. yeah, it wasn't no fun. Yeah, but. So that was day one. So I say we we leave the viewers at, at that. <laughs> yes, because when we come back for part two, part two there's a lot more interesting stuff happening. We're getting into what, what do you call it? Totally the meat and potatoes of it. <laughs> yeah. Plus you get to hear all of the theories on the machine that's driving all of this activity. Skinwalker Ranch, what is it? All I'm going to say, no, I'm, I'm not, I'm going to wait till you have to wait till the next episode. Yeah, wait till, the, wait till episode two. So this Uncle episode Dave's crazy. is our lot tread on Skinwalker Ranch, telling you a little bit of the back history, the UFO phenomenon that happens around there. And as you heard, big friggin' wolves just pouncing out of nowhere. Friendly to the human. Deadly to the bovine. And with that, (laughs) thank you for tuning in to Bipolar Teddy Bear. And go check us out at Bipolar Teddy Bear Network on YouTube if you listen on the audio-only platforms. If you listen uh, audio-only, go check out the YouTube at Bipolar Teddy Bear Network. Right? Check it all out. Check Check out Twitter, Bipolar TB. Like, like tuberculosis. Uh, if you want to be a guest on any upcoming episodes, because we are still doing guests, reach out uh, to us at bipolar underscore teddy bear at outlook.com. Uh, message us on Twitter, then you're more likely to get a response there because Tolly actually monitors that. <laughs> Thank you for watching us and because we're watching you.